Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The FT. Crash or correction? In the aftermath of Black Monday came Turnaround Tuesday. Investors' heads are spinning, but should we be looking for buying opportunities or battening down the hatches? Plus, Wi-Fi comes to the wood-panelled offices. We hear how the digital revolution is finally reaching the world of private banking. And, fresh from my campervan journey around pensions inequality, we hear what readers had to say about my serious money column last week. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Judith Evans and Hugo Greenhalgh. It has been a roller coaster week for investors globally as China's economic woes spread across world markets, causing widespread volatility and steep falls in commodity stocks as panic gripped the markets. In the UK, the FTSE 100, which hit an all-time high in April, was trading at 15% below that level on Black Monday. But then came Turnaround Tuesday as markets, including the FTSE, bounced back amid talk of overselling and news that the Chinese government had cut interest rates in an attempt to ease fears about slowing economic growth. What should investors make of this? I'm joined in the FT studio by Judith Evans, FT Money reporter. Judith, thanks for joining us today. You've been at the heart of reporting this story this week, so let's plunge straight in. Is this a crash or is it a correction? Well, that's the big question, Claire. There's certainly a significant slowing down going on in China. The rate of economic growth is not what it was. And meanwhile, there was also what most people have called a bubble in the stock market. It went up 125%. This is the Shanghai Composite Index from last October to its recent peak. So there's certainly a lot going on there. But um, I got a view through earlier from Pictay Wealth Management, which is pretty typical of what people have been saying today. And that says we view developments in Chinese markets as a sharp correction rather than the start of a long term bear market. Let's hope they're correct. Is there any more negative evidence emerging that the theory of a crash could be more probable? Well, it's very difficult to say because markets have been so volatile over the last couple of days. One of the big things people have been looking at is the measures taken by the Chinese government to try and stem the market falls. And certainly uh, when they lowered interest rates today, that really cheered investors. But um, as I say, we'll have to see. Well, obviously, we'll keep 
are watching brief, but this has been a very unnerving week for investors, particularly those with money in passive index trackers. But has everyone done badly? Well, that's an interesting one. Passives have been really popular over the past few years. But of course, the downside of those is that when the market goes crunch, your investments go crunch. And actually, um, active managers have done pretty well this year at insulating investors from some of the worst. That doesn't mean they've all made positive returns during this recent turmoil. But because they haven't held so many oil and gas stocks, so many mining stocks, and because they've tended more towards mid caps, They've done better than a lot of trackers following the FTSE 100 or the FTSE All Share Index. Now, sticking with the UK theme, which sectors have proved the most resilient? Well, a big one has been house builders. Um, They're very domestically focused, unlike other companies which have exposure to international markets. Um, I spoke to Standard Life today who said they were very keen on Bellway. That's a house builder. Also Galliford Try and Crest Nicholson. Companies like those have stood up relatively well during the market turmoil. And that's part of a broader theme towards companies which are catering for you and me, the UK domestic consumer. And amid the volatility, are there any clear buying opportunities that are being identified by fund managers other than the builders? Well, quite a few. I've spoken to fund managers who have all sorts of different ideas about what you should be buying at the moment when markets are a bit low. Broadly speaking, a lot of people are pointing to European equities. Closer to home among London listed companies, one fund manager told me Burberry was looking interesting. That is very exposed to the Asian consumer, but he felt the long term story of the rise of the Asian middle classes and their taste for Burberry fashion accessories was not going to go away. Burberry, by the way, has fallen almost 30% from its peak earlier this year, so it's been pretty hard hit amid the turmoil. He reckons it's time to go back in. Well, indicative of maybe a story emerging among other stocks of that nature. Thanks very much, Judith, and rest assured, FT Money will keep a close watch on how chequered the markets may yet become. Still to come on the show, whether you're a campervan man or in Generation Tent, readers had a lot to say about my column on pensions inequality. We hear about their ideas for a fairer system. Before that, this week's FT Money enters the world of private banking, and there is evidence that this industry, built on centuries of tradition, is capitulating itself into the modern age with the launch of web or mobile-based apps for their clients. I'm now joined by the FT's wealth correspondent, Hugo Greenhalgh, who has been investigating their long-overdue leap into the digital age. Hugo, there are changes afoot in the world of private banking and wealth management with the launch of all of these mobile apps, but aren't they a bit late to the party? Resale customers have had these for years. I know. It, it does look on the surface quite rubbish, quite frankly. I mean, if you think about retail banks and their mobile apps, these type of services have been available for most customers for three, four, five years. Private banks are very late to the party, as you say. But the simple reason is that they don't want to do anything rash, and or do it incorrectly, for that matter. It's a mixture of, of terror and incompetence. Terror <laughs> in the sense they don't want to lose their customer in this increasingly competitive world of ever-shrinking margins. I mean, one analyst, for example, told me that the private banks look at technology in an almost aghast manner, as they're terrified it might reduce the, uh, the need for advice. They think if you give me everything on the app, you might run off and never use an advisor ever again. So it's a mixture of caution, so you, can, you can't blame them for that, but also it has been extremely late to market as well. 
so does this mean private banking itself is changing and becoming, dare I say it, more do-it-yourself? Which would be absolutely anathema to the private banking model, you're right. Uh, but no, the, the two should be seen as complementary. On the one hand, why shouldn't you be able to monitor your investments without having to make an appointment, phone your advisor, go and see the person, etc., etc.? So simple technological advances which actually will enhance this experience. But fundamentally entrepreneurs, second generation, third generation, whatever it might be, will still need advice. The private banking model still stands and is still operating not as successfully as it has been over the years. Certainly that the pressures are there. Uh, Economies of scale, we've seen a lot of consolidation in the market as well, have put a lot of pressure on, on private banking. But at the same time, technology, because it can reduce costs, offers an opportunity as well as a threat. There's been a lot of consolidation in the private banking world, but will this provoke more, do you think? Well, there are a lot of opportunities out there. One chief executive of of a very old traditional UK uh, private bank told me that it's going to present a lot of opportunities for challenger banks as well to get into the private banking market because the costs are much lower, the cost of entry are much lower, that is, and also the cost of doing business are much lower because if everything's um, automated, if everything's on your mobile app or or if it's online, then you don't need a whole bank of advisors or people in wood-panelled offices anymore. So it could, again, create a bit more competition but at the same time the, the same chief executive also told me that there are a growing number uh, of millionaires of multimillionaires and billionaires out there one company has estimated there will be approximately 4,000 billionaires by 2020 an increase of 1,600 on today so where's that money going to go it's going to go somewhere this current environment is a huge opportunity for everybody involved in the finance industry but particularly the wealth management sector and private banks as well Thanks very much there. That was Hugo Greenhouse, the FT's wealth correspondent. Before our final item, a reminder that you can read this week's FT money as part of the Weekend FT, which is widely available on both Saturday and Sunday, or read online at ft.com slash money and follow us on Twitter at FT Money. Now, all aboard the camper van for a ride down Pensions Easy Street. In my serious money column last weekend, I recounted how I had contracted pensions envy driving a camper van around the west coast of Scotland this summer as I encountered vanfuls of active retirees whose final salary pensions had contributed to an idyllic retirement at an age when they still had the time to enjoy it. As the government prepares to tinker further with our overcomplicated pension systems, I mulled over what the future might hold for those with less generous pensions, and particularly Generation Tent, Young workers who have left university with huge debts and scant hope of getting on the housing ladder, yet must also find the cash to save for a pension. Well, the response from readers was phenomenal, and a great deal of sympathy was expressed from those sleeping under canvas when it came to pension provision. Not only are younger generations being asked to save their own money at a rate that would tax the desire for deferred gratification of even the most frugal, they are required to risk all in investment vehicles that may in time turn out to be wholly unsuitable, wrote David Cole from Essex. He, interestingly, suggested a big tent solution. The trend for sole personal responsibility in pension planning seems to run counter to the sharing society in which direction the digital revolution is nudging us, he said. Could this be the salvation of the retired in years to come? Sharing housing and resources will lead to happier communities, even if we can't afford campervan trips to beautiful Mull. 
One wealth manager wrote in to say he felt future generations of professionals will never be able to save sufficient in any kind of pension or ISA scheme to equal the guaranteed index-linked pension enjoyed by current retirees, adding that it would be impossible to save enough and still pay for mortgages and children on top. In my experience, he said, people, my own clients included, don't really grasp this until their 50s when it is too late, quite often, to do anything about it. We also heard from a retired teacher, Brigitte Murray, who emailed in to say that this was not the whole story. Young teachers face a career average salary being used to calculate their pension, which they will not be able to access until they reach state pension age, she said. Would you be able to teach 30 inner-city teenagers at the age of 67, she asked. It is wrong of governments to encourage young people to take on huge debts. Many parents, like me, approaching retirement feel this way and are bearing the brunt of government policies on higher education up front by paying their children's tuition fees and living costs up front, thus delaying the time that they can afford to retire. Finally, one reader said of the current government consultation on pensions reform, It is somewhat ironic to ask younger generations to save more while imposing heavy taxes to fund generous subsidies for the older generations. With the exception of the flagship pension reforms, he said, consecutive governments have set bad examples to undermine the saving incentives by rewarding the previous generation's debt-fuelled consumption. Even now, he added, most taxes are levied on earned income, yet most government spending is on the over-50s. Consequently, UK national debt is at 1.5 trillion and rising. Well, thanks very much to everybody who wrote in, emailed and tweeted in response to the article. And I promise we will be coming back to this theme in future editions of FT Money. We'd love to know what you think about turbulence on the stock markets, the quest for a fairer pension systems, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch via email, our address is money at ft.com, or you can tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else is in this weekend's edition. We will review the extent of the full week's fallout on the stock markets, helped by the return of Merrin Somerset Webb, our investment columnist. And as usual, we've shared tips from our sister publication, The Investor's Chronicle, and the latest director's deals. The Money Show will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me, Judith and Hugo. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.